You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, everybody. This is Sarah, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about shedding our limiting labels and beliefs so we can live our dreams and shine our lights in the world. This week, we are joined by Julie Wald. Okay, little bias on my part. I love the topics that Julie talks about, partly because it's something that I've been examining more and more over the past I would say five or six years, but really ever since COVID and I've had extra time, it's like I keep pulling on threads. And so when Julie came up as a potential guest, super excited. Um, And she and I have just had a short little chat. I know you're going to love her. So let me give you a little background on her before we actually dive into the interview. Julie is a wellness practitioner, and she's been one for over 25 years. She is the founder, CEO, and chief wellness officer at Golden, a global leader in wellness education and employee self-care programs. Julie is the author of the Amazon number one best-selling book, Inner Wealth, How Wellness Heals, Nurtures, and Optimizes Ultra-Successful People. And Women We Admire named her one of the top 100 women leaders in healthcare of 2021. That's quite a resume, and it's not even all of her resume. Um, But with that, it's a good place to welcome our guest, Julie Wald. Hi, Julie. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Well, I'm excited to have you. I always have questions around um, the topics that you can cover. So, but before I dive into that, I like to ask all of our guests, all of our guests, whether or not there's something that you personally do regularly, it might be daily, it might be other than that, but really keeps you focused on your big dreams, your mission um, for staying true to your whole self. That is such a great question. I would say that, you know, there are so many things that I do on a daily basis that are essential to Um, me staying true to my whole self, both on a personal level and on a professional level. I I start my days um, with a gratitude moment. It's a first thought, best thought, I call it. And I literally have trained myself that the minute my eyes open in the morning, the first thing I do is um, think of what I might be grateful for. And, And it changes and it can be deep and profound and it can be as as simple as, you know, a hot cup of tea that's coming in five minutes or some or, or anything in between. But I would say um, that gratitude practice really keeps me anchored in my heart. And I think that my heart um, is my superpower. <laughs> so that's uh, that's that's why that practice is so essential. That's so funny you say that. When I was in fifth grade, we all got assigned this health assignment, like the class got broken up. So I got assigned the circulatory system. Don't you know, I knew all kinds of things in fifth grade, which I've since forgotten. But when you say your heart is like your superpower, I'm thinking in so many ways, literal, figurative, you know, 
spiritually. So how powerful is that? Um, well, thank you. And, you know, when I was reviewing your background and kind of your career, I'm really curious because you have a background as a clinical social worker, right? So you really have that whole systems, personal system piece, right? Um, where did that start to grow or shift and your focus onto the personal well-being aspect of what you do today? Such a great question. So I, um, you know, I, I worked in the field, uh, in the social work field for about a decade before I started my company Golden in 2003. And um, I was working with some of the most disenfranchised populations um, in the United States. I was I was really um, doing some deeply fulfilling and and just really important work, providing clinical services to to people who were struggling with a wide range of of mental health and and socioeconomic challenges, and it was stressful. It was extremely stressful. And so I learned that I really needed to take care of myself. And so I was early on in my career. I was a young woman. I dove into learning every possible thing that I could about, about wellness and self-care, quite frankly, just as in order to in order to tune the instrument of my own self so that I could show up at work, um, you know, able and willing to help without really breaking myself down in the meantime. And then that um, became the launch pad to some opportunities that came my way to work with some extraordinarily high performing executives in New York City just post 9-11. And so what ended up happening was um, I had a side hustle. I would work my social work job during the day and in the early mornings and the evenings, I would bring practices like mindfulness and, and yoga and really an integrative approach to self-care to primarily people in the financial industry, um, as well as some, some entrepreneurs who were really suffering just post 9-11. And there was sort of an opening that happened. And once I started finding myself doing this, you know, this very wellness focused work on a professional level, um, I, I realized that it was the integration of all of this that was going to be so um, just so fulfilling for me professionally. And so that is really where Golden was born. Actually, one of my most amazing clients who's still, um, you know, still somebody that I'm in close touch with today said to me, this work, I was working with him three mornings a week at 5.30 a.m. And he said to me, this work has been so transformational. We were doing a lot of meditation, a lot of yoga, a lot of breath work. Um, it's been so transform transformational, transformational for me. I want all of my employees, which was a lot of employees, to also have access to this kind of support because I can only imagine that it will make my organization stronger, not to mention the fact that it seems like the right thing to do for my team. And that was the moment where kind of golden was actually born. And I, I came home at that time. And I said to my husband, I said, there's a really interesting opportunity. And um, the rest is kind of history. So that, so here you are, you're a social worker, right? You are in the field doing a practice. And I don't want to oversimplify it because social work is not simple. Um, 
because you've got all the systems you're connecting with, but you're, you basically are doing a focused practice. And now you're being asked to take this concept you've created and developed from a single person, which is pretty manageable, right? It's like social work. I can customize my plan for that person to an organization. So how did you, or did you already, maybe you already had this, how did you design that approach? And did you um, support yourself with the business around you that allowed you to do that without creating chaos? Yeah, great, great. Uh, you know, it was really a couple of things. I think first and foremost, um, I spent some time thinking a lot about you know, I had, at this point, I had had, you know, a number of years of experience as a clinician, you know, as a social worker, and I had, um, you know, enough experience in working with this more corporate clientele, this high performance clientele, that I could see a lot of parallels between, you know, some of the universal challenges across socioeconomic lines that people were struggling with, you know, people, the interesting part at that point was that, you know, the, the many of these sort of, you know, struggling more disenfranchised people, as opposed to, you know, sort of ultra high net worth people that I was working with, I found very early on that they were kind of equally happy and equally as miserable. <laughs> and, and, and they were actually worrying about many of the same things. Obviously, um, the people with resources were more resourced so they could get more help. They could, you know, th they could get more support with some of their challenges. And obviously it takes the edge off quite a bit, but, um, at the end of the day, people were worrying about money. People were s dealing with stress. People were dealing with addiction. People were dealing with worrying about their children or their aging, aging parents. And there was all these sort of universal, problems, so to speak. Um, and then I started to look really closely at what were the things that were actually moving the needle across the board for people. And that's where the four pillars of wellness were born. And those four pillars that we came up with, sort of the ingredients, so to speak, for um, cultivating well-being were consistent movement, consistent stillness, consistent connection, and consistent nourishment. And so that became sort of the framework for our corporate wellness programs because we thought, okay, how do we go into organizations and you know educate people about some of these truths that we found in in just being kind of you know in the trenches and, and working really deeply individually with people and and start to draw you know some of the lines so that people could understand, okay, you know, so these are the ingredients, movement, stillness, connection, and nourishment. You know, obviously there's others, but those are sort of the core, most basic ingredients. And 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 how am I doing in those areas? You know, am I moving consistently? And I, am I finding enough rest and recovery time? How am I nourishing myself, not just with food, but with nature and with, you know, art or music or play or whatever fills you know, fills us up and am I connected? And that's probably the biggest one, you know, do I have relationships that are meaningful and fulfilling and healthy? And so once we kind of came up with these more simple ways to sort of understand things, we could, we could build programming um, in the realm of education, in the realm of um, giving people opportunity to practice certain things and then individually evolve and coach them through their own obstacles. So that's really the framework that we used, you know, from the beginning and still today is education, 
practice and evolution. Um, and if you think about anything, if you think about, um, you know, learning how to bake or learning how to play a sport, you know, first somebody needs to teach you how, then you need to practice. And then you need to figure out where am I having struggles? Where are my obstacles? And how do I solve for those problems? How do I overcome that? And so teaching self-care and we teach self-care based on science. We teach it based on all the latest research um, is really, is really no different. Okay. You shared a bunch there. I know. I'm sorry if I go. No, I love off, it. I'm, I'm trying to focus my own brain because there's like three different trains of thought I have going on. One is about the similarities in people. You know, I love your pillars and wanting to dive into that, but then also seeing where people get hung up right? And, mm -hmm. and put barriers that don't need to be there. So I'm going to make a note for myself because I want to, because, because I want to come back to this. So and let's just make a note also to talk about, because I loved what you said at the beginning in your intro, you know, to this podcast about limiting, about limitations or limiting beliefs. And, 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 and I just want to put a pin in the idea that that's one of the biggest obstacles for people. Well, I know it is and has been in my life, right? Like even it's a constant growth cycle, right? What you go, okay, those don't bug me anymore, right? And then four or five years ago, I'm thinking, oh man, those are big mountains. And then I look at them going, that's nothing, right? But there's always a new one, right? Because your subconscious just brings you up old stories, uh, the different old stories. So I, I love asking myself, huh, when did I say that was true, right? Like I don't have time. I get it, right? My day totally upends itself sometimes because other family members need things like for health and stuff. What do you say? Put your health on hold because I don't have time for you. Sometimes I do, but um, not that callously. But sometimes it has to be put on hold. But there are those micro things you can do or that I can do that tell me I am focused on my own well-being. Even if it's not as much as I would like it to be today, I haven't abandoned that. And... Um, so that's just my own inner dialogue with that. So let's go and talk about um, the pillars. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question for a definition, actually. And, you know, you talk about inner wealth. Can you define that for us? Because I'm having a feeling for me, that's probably the umbrella that all of this kind of is connected through. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, part of that title for inner wealth came from um, what I was speaking to around some of those similarities in, you know, in some of the, in some of the ultra high net worth and some of the more disenfranchised people that I was working with and, and um, realizing what at the end of the day helped people to cultivate a sense of um, happiness, of, of well-being. So what I learned was, you know, sometimes some of the people, you know, who've, who had achieved the most, who had accumulated great wealth, weren't necessarily like feeling very abundant or happy. Um, and oftentimes it was the people, or sometimes I should say, it was the people who had almost nothing, who had technically on paper, not necessarily achieved, you know, such a magnificent resume or, you know, had, had, had very little in the bank, but somehow they, um, they had this sense of sort of inner wealth and inner abundance. And, you know, 
obviously I wanted to sort of take some of the inner wealth and give it to these people and then just take some of the outer wealth and give it to these people and then everyone would be happy, but I couldn't do that. So I, um, I decided to figure out how to, you know, support some of the people that I was working with at the time, um, which were these ultra high performers in figuring out how to cultivate the inner resource, the, 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 the internal sense of abundance so that, you know, whether it's like a gratitude practice, like what I mentioned when I wake up or a sense of um, authentic connections with, with people that they care about or, a sense of, of self-care, like the, the ability to nurture themselves, that that at the end of the day was what creates a sense of inner wealth, of inner abundance. And ultimately, I think that, you know, that's what we all crave and want is, is that, that inner fulfillment. And, um, it was just, it seemed so interesting as to, you know, how, at the time, again, very young in my career, how people could have such um, such success on so many levels, yet somehow seem almost poverty stricken in other ways. Well, when you talk about the inner wealth, there's also giving our sense of well-being to external factors that we never ever had control over. Like, do people like us? How are we doing? Yada, yada, yada. You know, it's like, who knows? We don't know. But like you're saying, you start with your gratitude practice among one. It's like, wait a minute, I'm already starting off ahead of the game. Absolutely. But it's tough when you're having a tough go. That takes some discipline to remind yourself, I'm not going down the fear trail at this moment, right? I'm mm -hmm. coming back. So when you um, let's talk about some of the limiting beliefs that people will come to you with, or when you start working with a group or an organization, what are the typical limiting beliefs? You touched on them a little bit. What are they? And then what are some of the ways you suggest people rethink that they're put on a different set of glasses when they look at what's possible for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, it, it's limiting beliefs and it's also kind of story, right? Like we tell ourselves a lot of story, like, you know, I'm so overwhelmed or I don't have enough time, you know, which it's not to take away from the fact that there's a lot on, on any given person's plate at the moment. But when, when that's our inner mantra, when that's kind of the belief and the way that we're actually kind of orienting to our day or our workload, it's a very disempowering perspective. And I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned is understanding kind of where, um, where inside that's coming from, you know, is that coming from um, a certain feeling that we need to identify and, or is it coming from a certain time of, uh, in our life or, or kind of a um, belief system that we developed around what our capacity is or ability to set limits or to say no, or to, you know, have boundaries around, you know, what we can do or what we can't do. And I, and I think that that's, that's one of the biggest particularly because we see so much burnout um, in the workforce, which is just um, so, so prevalent right now. Uh, you know, so helping people to identify the fact that when they're when they're orienting to their day and to their job and to their life from that 
perspective, it's it's extraordinarily limiting and it's very much of a self-fulfilling prophecy um, in many ways. And so if they can start to um, reframe their relationship to how much they have to do and how to prioritize what they have to do and, you know, what that internal voice is. So maybe it's um, instead of you know, I'm so overwhelmed or I don't have enough time um, to do all the things. It's something along the lines of, I'm going to prioritize what's most important. Um, and so, you know, a simple reframe like that, all of a sudden, if you get through, if you have 15 things on your to-do list and you get, and you decide what are the top three most important things and you, and you get through them, then the day was actually a success. Whereas if you're orienting towards, I have 15 things on my list and I'm never going to get it all done. No, you're not going to get it all done. So what's most important and can you kind of focus on that? And, and then obviously when you reframe it, then there's sort of a sense of self-efficacy when you, when you actually do get something done and you can kind of back into that way of, seeing things from a behavioral perspective. And Julie, don't you find that when the list is long, it creates an artificial sense of urgency that everything is important to happen, right? And so even so, then we're focused on getting the list done, not necessarily on getting an effective resolution to one of the things that we prioritized. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one other thing that um, that I'll I'll mention, you know, and this is sort of um, I see this more or I see this a lot in some of the deeper work that I do with executives and and um, is is a deeper limiting belief around um, I'm not enough. And and that creates this kind of never ending need to either achieve or, um, you know, produce more income or what, whatever it might be, which um, becomes really a recipe for a lot of pain long-term. Well, and if you're in a role of a leader, you're not going to want to say, this is my inner worry that I'm not enough, right? I mean, oh my God, that has significance. So if exactly. I'm not enough, what am I doing leading this organization? I don't even get to be human. I'm struggling, blah, 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 but I can't share it because I might not be enough. I mean, those are scary little inner stories we tell ourselves. Absolutely. Those are the stories. And then out of those stories are born kind of hypervigilance where people are working around the clock and burning themselves out because it's never enough. And then obviously from that hypervigilance, you know, becomes comes burnout and just exhaustion and ultimately like physical illness or issues in relationships or other other things. So the ripple effect um, actually starts to become kind of a lot a, about a lot more than just even work or leadership it's it, it ripples out into into many different areas of life in a way that can be challenging absolutely well everything feels heavy then mm -hmm. you know so like oh my days already i'm not even out of the bedroom yet and my day is like heavy so then the thought of like okay how am i going to handle this thing that just popped up i mean it's just you're already carrying this heavy burden instead of going i've already prioritized I'm sure I will handle everything I need to, but at least setting yourself up, right? Absolutely. Um, just like saying, hey, I'm enough. I'm here. I woke up. We're going to mm -hmm. do this. Mm -hmm. I had a counselor tell me that many years ago, like I was going through this super, super stressful thing. And I am running this organization, small organization, 
I should have gotten a little more due diligence before I said I would lead it. But anyway, it was stressful. And I said, and then had family emergencies come up. And I said, I can't even go to work. And he says, just show up. You don't have to do anything. Show up, be in your office, be visible. Everybody else will calm down. They will know it's good. They'll go do their stuff. They know what to do. All you have to do is sit there. I'm going, that's just not going to be enough. He goes, bet you it will. And so the next time I saw him a couple of weeks later, he goes, how's it going? I said, well, amazingly, and I went through the stuff that we'd accomplished. He goes, showing up's half the game, Sarah. Just show up, right? And But that shifted my framework like from feeling like maybe I'm not enough at a time where I probably wasn't enough, Julie, for what other team members wanted, to just going, okay, I can do this. I can show up at least for two weeks, and <laughs> we'll see what happens. So exactly. if we go and think about some of those kind of barriers that you were talking about, what might be some simple ways to begin to integrate? I mean, I know it's complex with each person you deal with. You might say, well, I would start you here and this person might, this might be an easy thing. But if there were two or three touch points that you would say, you know, if this, then you might want to start here. Are there a couple examples of that you could share with us? Sure. I mean, I think most importantly, you know, the first step is self-awareness, right? Is awareness of what's actually happening. I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're so stuck in our story that if we don't even recognize that it's a story, then it's hard to even begin to start pulling out tools to help us kind of recenter in the moment and, and, and connect with a different, a different storyline. Um, but so, so I would say sort of practices that help people build awareness around what their stories are, or what their limiting beliefs are. And that can, that can look like a lot of different things. It can look like a relationship with a coach or a psychotherapist. It can look like, um, a meditation practice, um, or all different kinds of sort of introspective, um, types of practices. And without first developing that ability to witness, it, it's it's hard to then kind of take steps to, to have tools. So with that being said, you know, with the first example around um, someone who feels like they have, you know, not enough time or, or, or too much to do, once they, once we have the awareness of of that and that that's happening, you know, then it's, it's really about, and this is where the inner wealth comes from. It's really about those, like calling on those inner resources, those inner tools, like, oh, okay. So what can I do to feel more, you know, more adequate, more capable of, of meeting, you know, meeting the, the demands in front of me? Well, I can prioritize, like we talked about, I can, um, instead of having a 15 item list, I can have a two item list and I can determine what are the two most important things that I need to get done today, or even the one most important thing that I need to get done today. And then if we achieve that, we feel good. Um, you know, it's the, the, the key though, with all of it is, is in the practice is in the consistency of, you know, how do I create a ritual so that I, I know this is my tendency because I've developed enough self-awareness. How do I um, then create, you know, a ritual to ground myself on a daily basis and, you know, and, and orient to my day consciously in the way that I want to. And, you know, again, I have a, a ritual, for example, because 
I struggle with this, the, these, you know, these examples that I'm giving, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, they're close to home and they're, and they're relevant in all my clients, because again, just like, just like what I mentioned about the ultra high net worth people and the disenfranchised people and everybody's stuff is the same. I mean, the people who are the helpers have the problems and the people who need the help have the problems and, and everybody's managing similar themes. Um, and I so, love that you said that because that is so true. There is no one exempt. Exactly, exactly. And as we especially say about people in my work, in my line of work, like we teach best what we're learning ourselves, right? I'm, yes. I'm a work in progress um, and I work really hard at it. And then, and then hopefully, you know, I'm able to work with, with clients and, and organizations in that same way. But, um, you know, so for example, for myself, when I sit down in the mornings at my desk and I know that I can easily go into kind of overwhelm mode, I have a practice where I take three really deep breaths and then I have a little handwritten notebook next to my thing. And I say, okay, what are the, the most important things? Like the one, two or three most important things that I need to achieve today. So these are my own practices that I teach my clients. Um, and, and when it comes to, comes to not enough, you know, it's a big one. Um, and that is really, usually we have to do um, some deeper work around, you know, what are the experiences, whether it's, you know, childhood experiences or, um, you know, relationship-based experiences or professional experiences that have, helped us to um, develop that story and develop that belief. Where is that coming from? What are the, what are the, um, the moments in our li- lives where, um, you know, where we've decided to orient in that way? And, you know, again, it's, uh, it's the self-awareness of, okay, you know, this is my story and this isn't serving me. So how do I understand where this is coming from and, and why, why it's here? And then, and then with that awareness, um, you know, what does that, cause usually these things start from a certain chapter in our life or a certain experience in our lives where our nervous system starts to get wired in such a way, um, where, it doesn't even feel like it's a story because it, it it feels so deeply embedded in in the fabric of who we are. It's like running through our veins. It is our nervous system. And so when we can start to look at the moments throughout our journey where that story may have been born or reinforced, um, then, you know, we need to actually go back to those moments and um, and and talk to that talk to that person that started to have those beliefs, right? So if I developed um, a belief in, you know, elementary school that I wasn't smart enough or that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, something came up, whether it was an interaction with a teacher or with a parent or with a peer, you know, and suddenly I started to develop this way of understanding myself and, and, and how I, you know, how I relate to the world. Um, it's, it's re- I have personally found and do this with many of my clients, if I can go back to some of those experiences and look at it from kind of a present day, more rational, non-storied, you know, perspective, um, kind of again about bearing witness and having the self-awareness to say, okay, kind of if I could put that story on the back burner, like what is that little girl who's in fifth grade actually need 
to hear in order to feel like she's enough or that she's smart enough or whatever enough. Um, and, and, and then, you know, it's, it's about, again, the repetition of revisiting that little girl again and again and again, and reminding her, you know, that she's enough. Okay. So I agree with everything you said in terms of practice and being able to do that. And I know people can not want to like go retrospective, but to understand and have compassion for ourselves and how we chose, because at some point when we're aware, then we have to acknowledge we're choosing to stay in that story, right? We can either deal with it or we can just choose to stay in it. And in my world, once I'm aware of it, if I choose and it's not positive for me personally or my family, and I go, oh, it's too uncomfortable to deal with it then I'm choosing to be there and be a victim of a story that is no longer or maybe never was true, you know? So, but I'm real curious because so that self-awareness and that connection to self and that self-nourishment that you've talked about in the pillars, talk about the movement piece of the pillars, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there's so many layers of the pillars, you know, they can be very literal and, and then they can be kind of, not so literal and met more metaphorical, but, um, you know, movement is, is really fundamental to our, our health and well-being um, on so many different levels. And so, you know, when we can move our bodies consistently, um, we're able to not only obviously stay healthy and strong um, physically, which is very empowering mentally when we actually feel strong and resilient on a physical level, but we're also moving, you know, energy through our bodies. We're moving, you know, blockages through our bodies because we are sort of a whole being and the mind and the body are interconnected. And so if I'm thinking these thoughts, they're probably also living somewhere in my body. So if I'm able to um, move for the purposes of health and well-being and strength, um, you know, that's empowering. And it also helps me to kind of continuously flush through some of the the blockages now a lot of a lot of the work that i do is also because i'm a mind body practitioner is helping people understand where some of these beliefs or feelings are living in their body so then they can be even more deliberate through practices like yoga um, or breath work to actually very consciously you know move energy in the areas that you feel stuck a lot of people feel stuck here or here or in their chest or in their stomachs um, and once you know that there are certainly you know so many beautiful practices to get to get things moving i was going to ask you about that because of thinking when we come to notice like we're holding things that there, there is that connection right all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and you take a breath you go you're going okay wait how long has that tension been there right exactly and that awareness then the next time you're feeling your shoulders tense you're going okay last time it was what's good what is in my brain right now or like or my system my nervous system so how do you work with people on that? Are you doing that one-on-one -on -one or in groups or your team is doing that? Because I think that- All of the above, all okay. of the above. So we, um, uh, you know, my organization does a combination of group work, um, you know, where, where we're really teaching people tools 
you know, through even things as simple as, as desk yoga um, and mindfulness of sort of how to work, even as you're sitting at your desk to kind of keep things moving. If you feel your stress and tension and belief systems all lodged up in your neck and shoulders, you know, how can we help you, number one, gain awareness and number two, create the movement that's needed to kind of keep keep things moving. So it can be done in that kind of group fashion in a way that quite frankly is very digestible in a corporate setting. So it doesn't feel too kind of way out there, um, you know, in a way that might, might be uh, difficult for some people. Um, and then on an individual, on an individual basis, you know, we really try to understand what, um, what are the most ideal practices, you know, that this person can work with in order to move things through their bodies. So sometimes I'll do um, with some of my clients one-on-one, -on -one, we'll do guided visualizations where we'll work with some of the beliefs, we'll work with some of the limitations, we'll sort of come to understand where they are in the body, where they're living, what that feels like, um, what are the experiences associated with them. Oftentimes we can use the body to actually access even more information. And then with that understanding, you know, I will guide through a wide range of primarily, you know, yoga based movements to um, create energetic flow. But, you know, on a personal level, you know, I've been a yoga teacher for, I don't know, a very long time, <laughs> 30 years or something. And I, um, and it comes very naturally and I love it, but I also find that um, I need I need to to use my muscles and I need to work out and I need to sweat and I and I need to do things that aren't always so yoga based because that's very balancing to me. I um I I tend to um you know to sort of it's not my favorite thing to do if I were to sort of have my druthers, but I know that when I do do for example like weight training and you know kind of more intense um training type types of work, I, um, I feel incredibly empowered and strong. And, um, it feels actually like an essential ingredient for me, uh, in my ability to kind of access my whole, my whole self. Okay. So i you said two things and I started to go down another thought process, but I'm coming back. So when we think about working with individuals and then organizations, corporations or organizations, and you've done that work with people, what are some of the organization level benefits? Like if, in, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, you know what, maybe I should have Julie and her team come in, but how do, what benefits am I going to see for my staff, my organization, our shareholders or our donors, depending on the type of organization? Yeah. So, so there's, there's so many benefits that it's hard to even know actually where to begin with that. But, um, you know, first and foremost, it's, uh, especially in, in the world that we live in, it's, it's, it's the human thing to do. It's the right thing to do to support your team. Um, if you're a leader and you have a team, um, you know, good leaders support their team. And when people are struggling, which most people are on some level within an organization, you know, it, it's in order to resource, if you can resource them with ways to navigate their challenges, the outcomes of that are, are tremendous. For example, you are going to obviously, you know, drive 
um, performance and optimization in your team. They are going to be better at what they do. Um, one of the biggest reasons, especially recently, um, organizations come to us is for recruitment and retention. Um, people want to work with organizations that care and organizations that are creating um, opportunities for them to grow and evolve both personally and professionally. And so, um, so many companies are hiring us to really create a culture where the DNA is so caring that people want to be part of it, people don't want to leave, um, it becomes almost part of their lifestyle. Um, obviously, when you can help people with science-based self-care and really learning how to practice lifestyle medicine, we call it, you drive down healthcare costs and um, you know minimize things like sick days and uh, it's it's beneficial in that whole realm of of sort of healthcare costs um, because you're making people healthier and and happier so they show up at work and they get sick less so those are just sort of a few that come off um, off the top of my head but actually one more that I'd like to mention especially because of the way that we deliver wellness um, you know there's a lot of different ways to de to deliver to deliver wellness in a company. Um, but one of the things that we find to be probably the most powerful aspect of what we do is that we give colleagues, employees, teams, an opportunity to connect. And if you didn't, if you noticed, which you, I know you did, that connection is one of our primary pillars. And so, um, Everything that we do is delivered um, live in a context where employees can come together and have what we call sort of a, a together experience, a together action. And we know that shared experiences are what build relationship. Um, the reason we feel so close, you know, to someone from high school who we haven't seen in, in 30 years is because we had, we went to the prom together and we had all these shared experiences and it makes us feel really connected. And the same thing goes in an organization when we can create opportunities for shared experiences, those relationships deepen and, and oftentimes those are the reasons why um, employees don't want to leave, why they want to stay and, and, and continue on. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I, and in one case, the small organization that I work with has had people from a large organization come and say, when's your next opening? I want, you know, the pay is not as good. The work is totally different, but the culture is like, people don't want to leave. Right. They really don't unless they have to, right? Family or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm going, that says something when you've created that culture that people are connected around a mission and a vision, but they are seen and appreciated for who they are and what they bring and their health is part of it. That's the bottom line. Yeah. So Julie, I can imagine people are going to want to reach out to you what, or your team, but where do you want people to go so they can learn more about what you offer, how you do it and how they as individuals or organizations can benefit. Sure. So um, you can check out our website, which is um, www.heyitsgolden.com. I um, invite you to follow me on LinkedIn. I invite you to email me directly if um, you want to connect. My email address is julie, J-U-L-I-E, at heyitsgolden.com. 
Okay, so those are some easy ways to get a hold of them and reach out to Julie. You can tell already from just her conversation, not only her wisdom, how much experience she has, but her heart for the work and everybody she's helping. And Julie, with that, I do want to thank you for taking time to be on the podcast. Um, you've given me many things to think about, and I appreciate that. And I really appreciate your work in the world because I know it is helping bust down those limiting beliefs about how we can all have inner wealth and abundance. Absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much. This was a total joy and a pleasure to speak with you. I, I, I truly enjoyed every moment. Fabulous. We'll be back in touch. And for the rest of you listening, we'll see you next week on another podcast. Remember, if you got value from even one thing that Julie said, please like this episode, click the share button, send it to a friend or a colleague, but help everybody get the inner wealth resources that are possible through the work that Julie and her team is doing and others who share similar passions for making ourselves and our work environments healthier, more enjoyable, and more impactful. So thanks, and I'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.